Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, I want to take a moment and say thank you to all of you who are supporting this show over at uh, patreon.com slash major spoilers. We certainly appreciate your help. It allows us to continue to get this show out to you each and every week. And if you're not already a patron, there's still plenty of time to sign up and you can get access to a bunch of bonus content. And you can find that all at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, get bitten by radioactive spiders, reveal your true face to the world, and travel beyond time and space, all in the mighty Major Spoilers manner. Your MSP crew is four incredible people with superpowers, watching, warning against spoilers, and surprise attacks from Joaquin Phoenix. Always four audio tracks, edited into one, dedicated, inseparable, downloadable, and on the air. Welcome to issue 850. 850 episodes of the Major Spoilers podcast. 850, marked down from 1099. Uh, just a little BTS for all of you people who are in, enjoying it. It's not really four separate tracks on this show. It's two separate tracks uh, because uh, I don't have this system set up to bring in everyone's individual Skype channels. There's ways well, around that. Bust my rhymes. I just, you know, I just wanted to be clear because I didn't want people to think that we did all of our shows where everybody gets their own individual tracks. Mm. That's only critical hit. So a little BTS for all of you. Uh, more on that. If you are a patron... <laughs> If now listen to yeah. this, I, I mentioned Patreon at the top of the uh, little intro there. Listen, if you are a patron at the, I think it's five dollar and higher level, you get access to secret sections of our Major Spoilers Discord server, where every week I go in and I talk about uh, Critical Hit as I'm editing it. I'm giving you some more behind the scenes stuff about the process and what's going on and everything. You can only get that when you're a patron at Patreon.com/slash Major Spoilers. Ha ha. Um, let's see, let's, let's do some, uh, maybe not news, but just topical things this week. Uh, this week we can talk about Superman is getting ready to reveal his secret identity. That final Star Wars trailer has dropped and who is watching the Watchmen series based on the HBO thing called Watchmen or however that goes. Let's spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where it lands. By the way, Rodrigo was talking about the Joker in our pre-show. Uh, you can find that of course over at patreon.com except, uh, we got to press the record button, so see what happens next. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Superman is getting ready to reveal his secret identity. This broke wide at the New York Times. Uh, last week, there is also a very extended interview with uh, Brian Michael Bendis on the Bendis Tapes over at the uh, Word Balloon podcast, where they talk about some of the justifications and the reasonings behind this. But after 80 years, Matthew, Superman is finally revealing his identity for good. Not Silver Age goodness where he's revealing it and then going back or mind wiping somebody or whatever. 
he's for sure truly really going to reveal his secret. Bendis says it's because Superman is supposed to be an honest guy, and by keeping his identity secret, he's kind of he's kind of cheating and lying Why? to people. Wait, yeah. you mean like when they outed his identity like three years ago, and then we put that back in the bottle? Yeah, you know, so I'm it's wondering. Been back in the bottle a hundred times, and yeah. I feel like I hate that rationale. I hate it. That is such an oversimplification to me, and yet I'm kind of interested to see a Superman with no secret identity. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I find feel this... like it's got it's got potential. Yeah, no, I, I find this super super interesting. About how does a hero live his life as a public person, but also as a, uh, you know, as as a hero, uh, you know, as as knowing both of your identities, and I have to go. Oh, wait a minute! Superman should go talk to Wally West. No, he can't go talk to Wally West. Yeah, no. Wally West is like wait, trapped wait, in wait, space and time. Way, way to go, DC! Um, if Superman could ever go and rely on someone else, Wally West, he could certainly go back to the '80s and '90s where Wally West made his secret identity known. He did put all of his put all of his family and loved ones in jeopardy and danger but it also changed the nature of how those stories were told and made wally west a much more interesting character and not just a knockoff of barry allen he was probably the best flash that we've ever seen in the comics until they undid all that but we're talking about superman now he's a murderer yes yeah. now barry's now well he's a murderer thanks dc well, <laughs> reveal it so is that thing... what, that's what's going to happen in 20 years uh, after revealing your secret identity you go on a mad murder spree and kill half of the uh, superhero universe way to go superman. superman way to go but here's the thing uh the mm-hmm. secret identity reveal is i don't feel like it carries the same weight anymore because in a lot of ways the secret identity is kind of an artifact it's a it's a what do you call them a discredited trope if you look at all of the major film and television superheroes, they either completely shoot secret identities in the foot, like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. coming out and announcing, hey, I'm Iron Man, mm-hmm. or that bullcrap last scene in Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. But you also get the thing that they do with the DC TV shows where they just hand wave it. Thousands of people have seen Kara Zor-El take off her glasses. Thousands of people know Barry Allen's identity. Oh, Literally, only because only Barry goes up to them and says, "Hi, I'm Barry Allen. I'm the Flash, and you are." Right. <sighs> That's the thing. <sighs> they're, they're, they don't consider it. And when I say they, I mean the creators and the producers and whomever at Berlanti Productions don't consider the super secret identity anything worth toying with like this because mm-hmm. it's what it's it's kind of like okay, Civil War, 2006. Spider-Man took off his mask. I am Peter Parker. It was a big deal, but it was a story that opened up untold possibilities, or I guess I should say possibilities for untold stories, but a very limited number of stories, and definitely much more limited than the open-ended nature of Spider-Man having a mask as he had for the previous 45 years. It wasn't two years before they retconned it. Superman has been outed before. Superman came out with a secret identity in like 88 or 89 and it was a big deal and then there was the whole clark kent murderer arc which had a superman gets revealed kind of undermined so it uh, i want to see what bendis is doing i feel like he's doing some interesting things but i don't feel like this carries the weight that it would have i mean ralph dibney did this in 1962 
Rodrigo, is it important for Superman to keep his secret identity? Is that is that something that separates him then from all these other superheroes that just can't wait to run their mouths to everybody they meet? I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Superman eventually became the 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 baseline of a superhero right uh, he he kind of he he didn't start out exactly the way that a superhero is but eventually he became that and 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 everybody has since kind of been doing a riff on superman and as like every superhero is kind of a riff on superman in one way or another and the secret identity is one of those things and you can write that story you know you can have superman not have a secret identity but part of the problem with that is that a lot of people have done riffs on that already and riffs with very Superman-like characters, right? It's like, so does a Superman without a secret identity, what does that make him any different from, I don't know, like a Mr. Fantastic type character or... um like, I know that there are just, like, straight-up Superman guys who don't have a secret identity. It's like, did the Plutonian have a secret identity? I mean, that's, that like, weird. Yeah, but, but he, he gave it up halfway yeah, through. Yeah, he, he, like, yeah. Because that's part of that story, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, uh, interestingly, a lot of the time when you see uh, maybe an Elseworlds-type situation where you say Superman doesn't have a secret identity, almost always that world is terrible. Like, it's a world in which Superman has decided to take over or is operating under some sort of different thing where he's just Superman. He doesn't have a a secondary identity. And almost always those worlds are not good. So, I don't know. It's Superman doesn't necessarily need to have a secret identity. But I I do wonder if um, focusing on the secret identity is going to be enough of a... uh, enough of a fertile ground to write things like in Mm -hmm. the way that you know people are like oh look at his trunks on the outside is like can you write stories about that not really maybe one or two but i guess i'm interested in seeing how does everyone else react according to one of the solicitations there is a major villain who will instantly no longer become a villain once he figures out once it's revealed who superman is once superman reveals his identity I'm interested to see what is Lex Luthor's reaction. What is what is Perry's what is Perry White's reaction to this? What is going to be you know the reaction yeah, the fact of that you knew that that was Lex just from that yes. you know, copy? I don't know. I, I don't maybe know. It's I, not, I maybe it's Gorilla Grodd. It could be. Yeah. It could be Toy. You know Man. what? If it, it were, I would be really impressed. <laughs> if it, it were Terraman or or Zardoz or you know Carbrack Rage. <laughs> Rage could be any of those people, but again, I don't, I don't want to be negative Nancy, but I don't think that a secret identity as the hook of this story is going to be enough. I want there to be something that happens because I, I'm going to go on the record now, pretty confident that this will be retconned. Maybe later, maybe sooner, but eventually it's going to be retconned. Well, it'll, it'll probably be after Bendis is off the book. Well, sure, but Bendis did the same thing on Daredevil 15 years ago, mm-hmm, and Daredevil's mm-hmm. identity has been outed and unouted mm-hmm. so many times that I have whiplash. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm interested to see Murdoch where this is goes. My I, I would go and and read this just to see where it goes. Ashley, are you concerned that this paints the the character in the in a corner? I mean, I'm not concerned because um. Uh... 
this I'm not enjoying this run, so I'm not actively mm. reading it. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, ultimately, it comes to nothing because which and this is sort of the ongoing problem with comics in the second act. We know that the minute that these toys are handed to another writer, they're just going to retcon it and set it back to ground zero and do whatever they want. And um, hopefully uh, embrace the fact that Superman is involved in a nuclear family instead of destroying that in their opening issue. But I'm not concerned about it because Superman's identity has come in and out of the bottle so many times. I am just a little disappointed that a creator of Bendis's caliber couldn't come up with a, a, a more interesting idea. Now, perhaps he's going to take a really great point of view on this. Like we've seen Grant Morrison does the same types of things that you've seen over and over again, but he does them better. Uh, Jonathan Hickman is doing that with X-Men. He's hitting a lot of familiar tropes, but he's just doing it better. So it is, you know, X-Men is pretty compelling right now. Um, Interestingly, cleaning up the mess that Brian Michael Bendis left it in. But um, I'm just like not really invested in the idea of Superman outing his secret identity. We can have the discussion and, and everyone has had it to death about the glasses, but Superman, and I know Zorro, I know there were heroes that invented it before, but Superman, for all intents and purposes, created, popularized the superhero secret identity. Mm-hmm. And so he's a character that for for me to have my optimum reading experience, I like it when we all, you know, I like it when when, when we're all in Clark on the Kent joke. is different than Superman because if if you if he has to be Superman all the time. He doesn't get to be Clark Kent. He doesn't mm-hmm. get to be married to Lois Lane. Lois Lane has to go live at the Fortress of Solitude. He doesn't get to be a dad. He can't work at the Daily Planet. You can't walk into the Daily Planet if you're Superman. People are going to be trying to shoot you up all the time. That's the modern world we live in. It it works so much less well to reveal Superman's secret identity than any other hero's secret identity, in my opinion. Um, which, if people are jazzed for this, great. I hope you dig it. Um you know, but for me, like, you know, I made I made that like sarcastic comment at the beginning. I was like, oh, like they did three years ago. Like, it's so been done to death. Like, please give me anything else. Well, mm-hmm. it's also please. kind of it's also kind of quietly been done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the Justice League cartoon, right, in which the characters were basically their superhero personas 100 percent of the time. Yeah. And actually, one of the few. Uh, superheroes who ever got to whose secret identity we ever got to see was Superman's basically only Superman and Batman did we ever get to see that and that you could argue was because of the legacy because this show came from the Batman Superman adventures essentially Mm -hmm. and so those characters were already established we already had a a Lois Lane who is like the the best possible um like uh, info dump character like you just throw Lois Lane into a situation she figures out all the information and then she tells Superman On yeah. animated Lois Lane remains my favorite Lois Lane yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great great version of the character I, um, I think you know I am Ashley I am looking forward to this because I do want to see what they do with this and I'm really more mm-hmm. interested in not the villain relationship but I'm more interested in the Clark and friends relationship, because I'm very interested to see all these people who didn't know that Clark Kent was Superman finally coming out. And then I want to see their betrayal. I want them to say, I feel so betrayed about this and I don't know if we can be friends and how can you, how can you fix this? And how does Bendis fix this? I want to, I want to tag something onto this because 
Uh, Jason Inman said this recently, and I think it's a really intelligent point, but I do want to give him credit. This is not my idea. Um, Perry White is an incredible newspaper man, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's a great reporter. He's excellent at his job. So for all intents and purposes in Superman's world, he fills that Commissioner Gordon role. Like I really like the idea that Perry White knows that Clark Mm -hmm. is Superman, that he understands that he understands the value in it. And he can see that, you know, the white lie that I'm Clark Kent, I'm not Superman, um, doesn't really hurt anyone. So that the if if we get to see things like that explored, and I think that's kind of what you're bringing up, Stephen, or like Jimmy Olsen being like, wait, how right. can I be your best pal if right. you're not going to tell me who you really are? That could make this, in my opinion, tired storyline, this reveal that's not a reveal anymore because we've had Superman for 80, however many years, that could make it really interesting. Yeah. And Bendis does thrive at the interpersonal relationship. So maybe, maybe he'll pull it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, mean, I would you... probably agree with you. I think Perry White would be the the person who is least bothered by this, except for, oh man, you're Pulitzer. You're going to have to give it back on that time you interviewed Superman uh-huh. because that's a real problem. Uh, but yeah, I knew I've, I've known for years, but now that it's out where you're going to have to do this or whatever, I can see that. But I I do see a lot of his other friends just being super, super jaded and super betrayed by this. And I, I want to see that story. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's good storytelling when people are just suddenly turning against you because you finally come out. And maybe, you know, there is a, an allegory for coming out uh, in that or not. I don't know. But I'm, I'm I want to see how this plays out. We'll find out in Superman number 18, which comes out next month. And it's worth noting that, you know, the secret identity predates Superman. It predates superheroes. It predates Zorro. The secret Mm -hmm. identity probably came together in the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is barely even the 20th century. It's like 1903. So we're dealing with 125 years worth of accumulated barnacles. So Mm -hmm. if Bendis has something new and awesome that he's going to say, I'm definitely willing to check it out. I, I I just have my doubts and my worries. You know how I am. Yep. Listeners, we want to know about your doubts and your worries and your concerns and your, your joyous rapture that you may or may not be experiencing when Superman finally reveals his identity. Head over to Majorspoilers.com. In the comments section, share your thoughts. We would be happy to read them. Everyone else would be happy to read them and so on and so forth. Speaking of Brian Michael Bendis, let's do some Bendis. reviews. Okay, who's speaking of Bendis? I am, because this week I am reviewing Action Comics number 1016, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with uh, with art by Sisman Kudransky. Kudransky. I think that's Simon Kudransky. Maybe it is. It's S-Z-Y, Simon. Simon. Yeah, sure. Uh, Anyway, I have really enjoyed, I kind of agree with you, Ashley, that I have not been a big fan Mm -hmm. of the Superman story arc, the whole fight my enemy in space because everyone's mad at my dad stuff yeah i have been a big fan of the action comics with the red cloud and the whole uh labyrinth or leviathan thing that they have been doing and Mm -hmm. action comics 1016 i don't want to say is a filler issue it kind of feels like a filler issue because uh you have a reporter from the daily planet who's going around the online version of the daily planet not the print version uh, who is going around interviewing people about the last fight that that Superman had with the Red Cloud and how he was super frustrated and his anger came out and you could tell he was really in trouble until Ni- Naomi or Naomi, whichever way you want to pronounce it, comes in and kind of saves the day and and, and uh, gives Superman the chance to kind of dissipate uh, the Red Cloud, which leads to a, a bigger discussion with uh, 
the group that's running uh, Leviathan and how they're going to start a gang war in Metropolis in the next couple of issues. But this story then kind of shifts focus to Naomi, and there are some brilliant moments written by Bendis in this book uh, where we go back 22 minutes, 22 minutes ago, uh, where Naomi is at the Justice League headquarters being um, uh, scanned or checked out by Batman because she now has these A-level powers. And he's like, how old are you? 16? She's like, no, I'm 17. And she's kind of going back and forth. And they see this fight from going on with Superman and the Red Cloud. And he, Batman's like, I order you to stay here. And she's like, you said I had A-level powers. Thanks for, for giving me uh, input on whether I should stay or go. And she just takes off. You see Superman or uh, Batman smiling because he's like, yeah, she played right into exactly what I wanted her to go and do kind of moment. Um, then we flash to Naomi being taken home to meet her mom and it's like the Justice League is, you know, basically all flying in with helicopters and Star Lab stuff. And and uh, Naomi is like, oh, mom, I want to introduce you to Superman. And Superman's like, ma'am. And she's like, excuse me. He goes, oh, I mean that in, in with all due respect. And uh, she keeps going, Batman's around here somewhere. I don't know where he is. He's probably hiding. And then a few panels later, as they're talking about her situation and everything, Batman appears. And uh, Naomi goes, oh, mom. That's Batman. And Batman's like, I'm Batman. And Naomi's mom is like, damn right you are. <laughs> and it's just these great, brilliant little nuggets of comedy that are dropped in here as Bendis uh, expands this uh, original character that he's created for DC Comics uh, that I really, really appreciate it in this book. Uh, I, I like the Labyrinth or the Leviathan. I keep wanting to say Labyrinth. I like the Leviathan storyline. I like the Red Cloud because she's magic and that's uh, Superman's one weakness. But I don't know, maybe after his secret identity is revealed, maybe uh, it will be his only weakness. Uh, but I really enjoyed this book a lot. I thought the art was fantastic. Uh, there were times where I thought it was maybe a little bit too simplistic, but that may be more to the color scheme that was being used that didn't create enough contrast on the page for me. Uh, but I really enjoyed Action Comics 1016. I have enjoyed this Action Comics series since it started with uh, with Bendis, and I'm going to continue to read it. And I would say if you are um, kind of a fan of some some comedy and you like to see some some character exploration, I think Action Comics does this a lot better than Superman. So I'm giving Action Comics 1016 out this week from DC Comics for slices of meatloaf. So there you go. Uh, last week from... Who is this? Universal Pictures. I saw no publicity about this movie until it popped up on Geek History Lesson a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago, Ashley. But it's the Adams Family, an animated 3D Adams Family stuff. Knew nothing about it, but you want to? You had a chance to go and see it. Tell us what you think. Oh my I gosh! Can I can I just say that I did see some promotion for this, and it was mostly through IHOP. Oh, oh no. okay. Because you can you can get Adam's family themed food items, which mostly oh, involve this like big purple dollop of like sugar on top of things. And, I'm sorry, and the, please and, continue. And the That's hair okay. that comes with your food is also part of the promotion. That's right. I was gonna Doesn't say it? I I saw advertising, but I live in Los Angeles, so I see advertising for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I've known about this movie since. Uh, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, when they announced that Oscar Isaac was voicing. Gomez and I said, "Oh, do we really need like an animated Adams Family movie?" And then I saw that the character designs are direct references to the Chaz Adams New Yorker designs. And I mm -hmm. said, "I don't care what this movie's about. I am ten thousand percent in. Even if I don't love the Morticia Adams casting choice, that's completely fine." 
And I finally got a chance to see this. I was so excited to see it. And it didn't have good buzz going into it. But everyone I know who saw it opening weekend actually said it was really sweet and really charming. And they really liked it. And I think that's the best thing that you could know going into this movie. So we had these amazing Adams Family live action movies in the 90s. And what they did, and we do get into it more on last week's history lesson, is they really kind of ratchet up the intensity and the violence and the types of stories that you can tell with that. And this Adams Family movie is very much for a middle grade audience. And I don't mean that as an adult, you cannot enjoy it, but it does do the same thing that the Peanuts animated movie does, where there's inexplicably like two dance breaks for modern songs that are really, really going to date it in about two years time. But the core of the movie, the Adams Family dynamic, the casting and the animation is so good that even when it does kind of silly other things like that and the fact that all of the people in the town look like the same character models as the Lorax for me was very very forgivable Wednesday is voiced by Chloe Grace Moretz who I think is pretty great and she remains the greatest of all time the story centers around her because all Adam's family stories no matter what you do kind of live or die on the chemistry between Morticia and Gomez and how great Wednesday is because let's be honest Pugsley sucks even when a great actor plays him, Pugsley just continually like, I don't know. There's just something about him where he's not as compelling and not as interesting. So that leaves you with Wednesday. And if Wednesday can really hold the story down, and I think that's something that's very much established in the nineties cartoons and movies. If Wednesday can be your center of attention, it's really good. And this movie shows a lot of what Wednesday Adams version of rebellion looks like. And it's things like, bringing home a barrette that's bright purple with a unicorn on it and bringing home a bright red balloon where she specifically comments that there's no scary clown attached to it. And if none of this sounds great to you, I want you to go and check this out because there is a straight up Wednesday Adams Rorschach joke when she goes down to the town to attend middle school that I was not emotionally prepared for, but having recently done our Watchmen book club with Matthew Peterson, I found quite delightful and if unsettling. Um, I just thought it was so good and so sweet. And I'm surprised that not more people are talking about it. I know the Joker came out and it's supposed to be either the worst thing or the next coming of superhero movies, but because I truly couldn't care less about it, all of my focus in terms of things to be excited about cinematically has been on this movie and it completely paid off for me. I don't think it's transcendent the way some other Adams Family properties have been, but I think it's really wonderful. I'm going to buy all the toys. Uh, and on the major spoilers meatloaf scale, I mean, I'm going to give it a four out of five. We'll watch again for sure. Nice, 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 nice. The only place where I saw the advertisement and I saw it after I listened to the podcast was I think it was a Reese's Pieces display at our grocery <laughs> store had the figures. Oh, we have one of those at Ralph's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I was just like, oh, that's the movie that they're talking about. OK, it's animated. And then, you know, yeah. go on from there. So I did say I on the saw... podcast, I think the only I was the only person in the world looking forward to that. Oh, OK. I saw <laughs> a ton of build up for it, uh, weirdly enough, on Food Network because we are watching we're watching the, <laughs> oh, the Halloween uh, bake off, the Halloween baking championship Love and the Halloween it. wars. So they were all about it. It's like, hey, you're going to make a cake of Pugsley. Oh, so it was no, one of those tie-in promotional things. 
Oh yeah, food network interesting. does that all the time. It's interesting, so interesting. Uh, Matthew, Josie and the Pussycats have been kind of a big deal in the Archie comics in the last, I want to say, year or so, as Archie and, and Josie uh, were were dating a little bit for a hot second. Yes. Uh, but now the Pussycats are out of Riverdale and they're going into space with the Comicsology original series. So this is a digital only release. Um, what? <laughs> yeah, in that space. Great. <laughs> Josie and the well, Pussycats in space, number one from uh, Archie Comics and Comicsology Originals. If you're old like Steven is, and I totally am, um, <laughs> you may remember Josie and oh, the Pussycats yeah. in Outer Space. Oh, I is do. In fact, yeah, it is an existing piece of Archie IP. And by, what I mean by that is they did the Jetsons only with the Josie characters uh, on CBS in like 1972. So decades before most of the people listening to this and some of the people on this entire show were actually born. However, this is modern Archie. And I went into this, and I had a little voice in the back of my head. It's that little jerk voice in the back of my head. And it's like, hey, hey, that Joker movie, you don't want to see that. But the little jerk voice in the back of my head said, hey, hey, stupid. I'm going to tell you what this is. And it told me what it was going to be. And I said, shut up, little voice. You're a cynic. You suck. And then I opened Josie and the Pussycats in space. Number one, written by Alex DeCampi, drawn by uh, Devaki Niyoki. And the first few pages, I'm like, okay, they're clearly not doing that. And the voice in my head was like, yeah, yeah, they are. They're doing it. They're totally doing it. Why the voice in my head is from Brooklyn? Got no idea. We start with a concert. The Pussycats meet some of their devoted fans. Then they get on a shuttle to go back to the USS Greendale, which is the spaceship that they live on, which is also the name of the city if you read the Josie and the Pussycats. So clearly we're dealing with another fork in the Archie continuity. Uh, in this one, there's no Jughead, so he's probably not a zombie or a werewolf. And I haven't seen Veronica, so she's probably not a vampire. And Archie's, you know, not dead and or married. But in order to get back to their ship, they have to go into cryosleep. And as they go into cryosleep, the pilot is talking about something weird that happened on the Sulaco. And I said to myself, oh, my God, voice in the back of my head, you're right. This is alien in Riverdale, or rather uh, in orbit around Riverdale. And it is. And I kind of love it. Um, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why I love it. I think maybe it's because every time Val speaks, I hear Rosario Dawson now, and I have since the 90s. That movie, totally underrated, I might add. Amazing. That movie's amazing. I, right? I would agree. Lots of good stuff going on. I think, on. Rodrigo, do you also agree on this? Are you throwing your hat into the movies? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The right. the 90s uh Josie and the Pussycats is a treasure. It is a hidden treasure of uh, of American filmmaking 2001. Go check it out. We'll wait. Okay, now you're back. Um, <laughs> but as they're in cryo sleep, something weird happens. Their shuttle crashes and this weird something shows up and then strange things happen and then we cut back to the space station and they're like no one has heard from the ship for days and days and then suddenly on the ship something starts beeping and the cryosleep opens and josie and melody and valerie step out and they find that they can't get out of the bay they're trapped and they're banging on the door yelling is anybody there and there's something there you guys i i want to make it clear that when I say, oh, my God, this is Alien with Josie and the Pussycats, that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you look at 
uh, Life or Afterlife with Archie, which I truly loved the, you know, when those first few issues came out over the past 19 years, they were all really, really good and they were all really fascinating. And I keep waiting for the point where Archie's going to go to the well with one of these and have it completely fall apart on me. I didn't feel Vampironica. I wasn't really into Jughead the Hunger. I really love Jughead's Time Police. And I love the fact that they're willing to take these weird risks with the characters. I do worry that this may end up being uh, a miniseries that's too much fun or too much uh, fealty to Alien. But I really want to see what happens next. And I kind of want to see, you know, Melody get eaten by an alien. But that's just because I don't necessarily like her. In any case, three and a half slices of meatloaf for Josie and the Pussycats in space, number one. I couldn't find whether it was a miniseries or not. It, it is. I it's a five-issue is. miniseries, yeah. Is it a five? Yeah. Five. Yeah. I would say from the pacing of this issue, my thought process was this will be a five. But now, I didn't I didn't I'd check. Like to... This is a, this is a Comixology Originals. Um, mm -hmm. We have seen DC and I think Marvel have both done digital first series before. And then they come mm -hmm. to print. And in those series, they basically take a single issue and they split it into two. So you're right. basically paying 99 cents for half an issue in those Comixology originals. Is this one the mm -hmm. same way or did you get a full 22 pages in this in this bit? Uh, I have 25 pages. Okay, I think cool. I may be counting the cover in the front. No, it, it well, it may be, but it may actually be. I was listening to an interview with uh, Alex Segura on a Word Balloon podcast. And he said that because of the digital format, if they want to go a little longer or a little shorter, they can certainly do that. So you may have gotten a couple of extra pages for your three ninety nine for a digital comic. Yeah, I liked it. This is this is definitely something that I'd be interested in. I was really hoping this. I was really hoping that this wasn't a they're already in space story, but more yeah. followed the the intro to the Josie and the Pussycats uh, animated series where they accidentally get on the bus with. Uh, <laughs> With Alex and uh, what's her name? Uh, Alex and Alexandra. And Alexandra and the cat. Yeah. And they all just get rocketed into space by accident because uh, uh, Valerie pressed the wrong button or something. So, yeah. Oh, well, Valerie I'll still probably check this out. Wrong. Melody does things Oh, wrong. Melody. That's Melody what it is. is. That's right. Goddess. That's right. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Matthew. Uh, that is out today, right now, from uh, yeah. Comixology. This very second. Now we're going to take a look at what's coming up in the future. Hello, future people, 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 people. Rodrigo, what's coming out from Dark Horse Comics in the future? In the future of next week. Yay, um, next week. We are looking at Manor Black number four. I've reviewed Manor Black on the show before. Uh, it's from that uh, Colin Bunn, Tyler Crook. Um, team that uh is is also beloved by the peoples um also brian hurt involved and um this is slow but not bad um there is uh, so men are black uh, if you'll recall is the story of uh a family of warlocks that is currently sort of undergoing a a sea change in who is the uh the head of household um why exactly we don't know we kind of know what it's going to entail but 
we don't know exactly why. Um, and then there's sort of all these other factions around that are trying to accomplish something, um, either tied to directly or just as a, as a matter of, of this magical world, which it takes place in the real world. So there's like cops in their cars and, you know, people shooting guns at each other and stuff on top of all the magic. Uh, in this issue specifically, um, last issue, uh, we had this sort of uh, magical manifestation from a character who is not part of the family but has become involved with them. Sort of, I, it's like it's hard to not do <laughs> spoilers for an ongoing series and not try to spoil what did happen. So, I was like, uh, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, if you've been reading, you know that the the fire thing got out, and then they're uh, they're basically trying to catch it. There's this. Um, kind of spooky force uh, or this like spooky group that is trying to get a get a hold of the of the totem but uh i don't know everybody like uh the 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 black family seems kind of bad it, like at least fundamentally so it's hard to say like good guys and bad guys here um it's enjoyable like i said we're we're getting things happening but a very slow drip of lore coming in uh which is probably good um you can start to see a real richness in the lore as characters are talking about it um that there's a lot more there to to get and if you're like me and you want a like very fleshed out um like thoroughly built world um that 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 stuff is very enticing um the action is cool. There's a the 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 fire critter uh, takes on a manifestation that's very cool looking uh, towards the end of the series. I, I would strongly recommend that you you know go to your comic shop and at least pick up this issue. You know, buy the issue, but like pick it up and and look through it um, to see it because it's it's really not what I was expecting to happen, and and I think it looks really good. Uh, altogether, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. I think. Again, it's probably not moving as fast as I'd hoped. And, you know, I, I fall into the like what I think is like a legit trap of being like, the, did Harrow County move this slow? Did uh, Six Gun move this slow? And it's I, it's a, there's no point, right, to be like, the, the, does a writer's previous work, how does that compare? And where am I at based on that? Because, you know, they're presumably writers don't follow a, a very precise formula about how they like structure things. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Stop thinking about it. Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> three slices of Milo for me, definitely right. an enjoyable read. Still looking forward to it. All right, everybody go check that out coming out next week from dark horse comics. And that is a shame, right? When it's like, Oh, I want to talk so much about this book, but you know, the publishers do ask, Hey, uh, don't, uh, don't talk any spoilers. Yeah. No before, big spoilers. Before and, and it's date. like, it's again with an ongoing book. It is hard to tell because I'm like, well, you know what happened last issue, presumably. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if I say they find something, it's like, well, you know what they were looking for, right? But you know, it's uh, just uh, I'm I'm trying to keep it. Clear. I'm sorry, Dark Horse. I'm I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm trying. Yeah, to... no, no, it's cool. I mean, it's it is rough when we do this podcast, and the reason why we started doing this years ago was because Tuesday night was the night we had access to Rodrigo and we were we had free time but it kind of evolved to we do it on Tuesday night so Wednesday morning you can listen 
to the show and know what to pick up when you go down to your comic book shop. And that's all well and good. And I'm, I'm certainly pleased that uh, DC Comics and Marvel and all the other publishers, uh, Boom Studios, Dark Horse, have all given us access to comics early so that we can do yeah. these reviews. We have review copies from all of these people. But some publishers, I'm not saying who, but there are two really big publishers who put super big restrictions on when we can even talk about their comics, when yeah. we can review their comics. Uh, Dark Horse is pretty good. They, they're the ones that say, hey, go ahead, talk about it early if you'd like. Please don't do spoilers unless absolutely necessary. There's one of the there's one big publisher that is like, don't talk about the comic until the day the comic is released. Uh, so technically, that's midnight. So if you wonder why sometimes the Major Spoilers podcast shows up at uh, 12.01 a.m. East Coast time, it's probably because we're reviewing a comic that is out this week from one of those publishers. Oh. I was set to review a comic from another publisher this week until I realized, oh, that big publisher won't even allow us to review the comic until 9 a.m. Eastern time and I don't of day of release. And I don't want to hold the podcast off until that time. So if you're wondering, hey, how come you don't review uh, comics from this publisher that come out this week? Well, number one, we only recently got on their review list after 13 mm. years. Not saying who. Uh, and number two, they have that 9 a.m. restriction. So if I'm going to review comics from a certain publisher, it's only going to be stuff that's a week old. So there's a, some yeah, more or... BTS stuff that's going on right here on the Major Spoilers podcast just for you, our dear, 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 dear listeners. What were you going to say, dear, Rodrigo? Dear, 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 dear. Oh, I, I was, I was going to say, or it's going to be a written review on the site. Yes, yes, that true, that too. But man, okay. Um, <laughs> oh, I was going to say more reviews. Yes, more reviews on the site. Correct, Rodrigo. Listeners, if you want to find more reviews, you definitely want to point your browser to majorspoilers.com and you want to review, listen to, and read all those reviews there. If you are not familiar with some of our other podcasts. We do have another podcast where Matthew and I sit down and we review one comic in detail and we talk about whether we liked it or we didn't like it. Maybe one person is right. The other person is wrong. It's called Dueling Review. That comes out on Thursdays, late Thursday nights. Uh, we record it live 8 p.m. Central Time and you uh, can listen to it on the Discord server link in the show notes. This week we are reviewing uh, what are we doing? Money Shot. Money Shot, an independent comic from I believe this is Oni oh Press. God. How, you know, if I already didn't have a different it's, Patreon feature called Why Do You Hate Me? I'd be saying that right now. Have you read it yet? Because it's not horrible. Just as a little preview to my, uh, dis, uh, my uh, uh, take. take on it. Um, I have but not it read is, it yet, but I think that I think that our listeners are out there, and they think that when oh, I no, say, it's oh, because... God, I hope they don't pick that, they think I'm being Br'er Rabbit. Oh, no, this is definitely because we suggested that all of our listeners of the Dueling Review podcast head over to Patreon page and let us know what comic they want us to read. And we were snickering at the money shot title until I realized, oh, no, this is about people getting it on in space uh, that they all voted for it. Uh, this is from Vault Comics. We're going to be reviewing cool. that and talking about it on this week's Dueling Review. Go find it over at the, uh, the Apple podcast. Go find it on your favorite podcast feed. Go find it over at Majorspoilers.com. Uh, it should be it should be interesting because I want to see Matthew's reaction to this comic. But we're still in this show, not on Thursday show, not on Friday not show, where we're doing finally Friday live uh, on our YouTube channel. Major spoilers video. No, it's not on our YouTube channel. I'm sorry. That's where you can find the archive of that. Uh, I'm talking about our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash major spoilers. That's where we do our live show. Finally, Friday every week. 
Uh, but uh, before we get to those days, we have to get through the rest of this episode. So let's talk some more Spider-Man. Only this time, we're not talking about Spider-Man. We're talking about some of Spider-Man's supporting cast and their spidery powers and their abilities to be locked in a vault for 10 years, only to be uh, uncovered during the Spider-Verse event, and then, oh, then to only find her long-lost family as the universe is coming to an end. We are, of course, talking about Silk, The Life and Times of Cindy Moon, Volume Zero, from Robbie Thompson and a slew of artists. I believe it's Stacy Lee is the primary artist with... Uh, uh, a couple of other artists uh, doing in Anna two Paolo, issues. Martello and Tana Ford. Yes, uh, doing uh, two of those issues in here. I got to say, I love Stacy Lee's art uh, throughout this series. I think it's perfect uh, for this. So, Ashley, give us a quick rundown of who is Cindy Moon and why are we reading her adventures in this book? So Cindy Moon was introduced in Spider-Verse. She is a super cute Chinese-American girl who got spider powers but they're not she's not just a complete peter parker copy because her spider powers come from her fingertips instead of from her wrists and they're very very specific and hence the name silk she can do things like weave clothing and items from them but she got a little out of control so her scientist parents sold her to this evil corporation and they were like you know what's gonna help this girl we gonna stick her in a bunker and then she got out during spider-verse learned that her whole family was killed question mark yeah. and this volume deals with her having lived in the bunker for about a decade dealing with coming back into the world working under J. Jonah Jameson who really likes her which is a really cute change on that trope mm -hmm. and balancing mm -hmm. what it is to be um, a superhero and a modern woman when you haven't seen daylight for a long time. My favorite thing about Silk is that she's so attracted to Peter Parker because they were bit by the same spider so they're attracted yeah. by pheromones oh, and no, I'm it's so, just it's so dying for someone to make her Ben Riley's girlfriend. That's yeah. all I want. <laughs> I enjoyed this. I read this a long time ago. This was probably five months ago, something like that. Maybe when it first arrived in trade or whenever it was in trade, maybe a year ago. And I had forgotten almost everything that happened in the story, except, oh, here's this girl, this poor girl who was literally locked away in a bunker for a decade, had to go through puberty and everything locked in a bunker, not knowing what's going on with her life. And she's got these spider powers and a little bit of rage uh, mixed in with that. And now she's free on the world and she is trying to make sense of it. I would think that a decade ago, if I had fallen asleep in 2009 and woke up today, I would be at a complete loss in how to function for society. Just yeah, because it's I like. I totally did that. I fell asleep in 2009 and woke up just today. And it's the same references. I Well, for you, yes. But I mean, for Cindy Moon trying to function, and I think that's why um, J. Jonah gives her the nickname Analog, right? Because she doesn't quite understand a lot of the technology that's going on and a lot of the, the other stuff that's going on. And so uh, I, I think that this is a kind of a tragic story. Am I, am I wrong there, Rodrigo, where here's this tragic story of a girl who was locked away for 10 years and she can't find her family because she thinks they're all dead? I mean, yeah, the... It's it's very compelling, uh, at least to a certain degree. Uh, the thing about the bunker story is that you, it's like it, the part of the reason why it's so interesting and why it's a, a strong choice is that it gives you a lot of options for the character and a lot of moments that that character can have 
where you like explain basic technology to her or explain certain things that have happened, even just within the Marvel universe, just for context of a new reader. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on the other hand, you run into things where you're like, okay, we're at this juncture where even though everybody knows this already, somebody has to explain this to Silk, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense for her to know this. And there were kind of a few moments in this where I'm like, how long has she been out? Like, she seems to actually be moving through the world with relative ease, you know, as compared to someone who would who was stashed away for 10 years and especially through 10 such formative years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe today, as Matthew is saying, 10 years today, mm-hmm. there may not be that much of change. But if you were thinking 10 years from like 1999 to today... That's a whole new world. Or 10 years from 1999 to 2009 is a whole new world. (laughs) Remember, this is 10 years several years ago, which means that it puts it even earlier in the 2000s. But Mm -hmm. I think that probably the biggest part of this that fascinates me is when you look at what Cindy has been through, I would be madder. I feel like she should be more angry, but. That's really kind of underplayed. And I feel like in a lot of cases, when you get a superhero type character, even a Spider-Man character who's kind of, you know, fun and lighthearted and jokestery, when something like this happens, when these big formative change moments or terrible things happen, the tendency is to lean into the rage, to have, you know, your Punisher moment, your Azrael moment, your angry, angry She-Hulk flipping out moment. And instead... Cindy kind of ends up being something entirely different. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Now, how long in this in this story, uh, Black Cat is kind of Cindy's big bad. Mm-hmm. How long? I mean, Black Cat is always bad, but yeah. I don't ever remember her being like the leader of this underground crime organization. Black Cat had just come off a run as a superhero at the time of this mm-hmm. story, and she had done another big heel turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah this and, she, is... and she'll do another one later in this very series. Yep. She has, she's been up and down a lot lately, but yeah, black cat had just done the heel turn and tried to become well, and was on her way to becoming essentially the new Kingpin because at the time Kingpin was out of play right around the time of, uh, secret, no, not secret civil war well, two. This is secret, secret invasion, secret, secret wars. empire and secret <laughs> wars. Both show up in this volume. Yes. The Hydra thing with the little Hydra bot, that's a Secret Empire tie-in. And the fact that the last issue ends with the literal end of the world is, in fact, a Secret Wars tie-in. I'm so mad, so mad at the fact that a seven-issue introductory series for a brand-new character has not one, not two, but three crossover stories just wedged in there like a splinter under your fingernail and without any without any explanation right because it kind of starts with the lead into what's going on with red skies but they're also like oh hey this all happened in the spider-verse and it's like okay what's spider-verse i guess we'll kind of find out through the explanation and then it's like oh yes here is uh you know secret uh hail hydra stuff and i think rodrigo you really like the uh the robot fighting bit oh yeah Uh, the, the hydra monster yeah yeah, and then, like you said, Matthew, it ends with, oh, my God, now we're going into a Secret Wars 3 or whatever this is. And it it's was just Secret Wars, the 2017 two. yeah. version. Yeah. This would have been so much better had none of that been involved in it, although there is 
I do like the Secret Wars tie-in a little bit at the end because it does force her urgency. It also shows a, a kind side to J. Jonah Jameson in that last chapter where he's like, hey, what are you doing uh, searching around on private time? And she's like, oh, no, let me, you know, I was just looking for my family. He's like, wait a minute, please tell me your story. And then he gets really nice where he's like, hey, look, I can pull some strings from when I was in the mayor's office. I can still have some friends on the NYPD. Let me see what I can do. And then as the world is starting to crumble around, he's like, look, uh, we have a lead on somebody who may be your brother. Why don't you go check it out? And she's like, no, I'm going to stay here. And he's like, no, listen, I'm going to give you an assignment. Your assignment is to go interview this person and find out what it, what the, this person's reaction is to everything that's going on. Go do it. And she does. And it becomes this really nice moment. And then it's the end of the world. And it's just such a it makes it even more heart wrenching, I think, when you're like, oh, she found exactly what she's been searching for in these seven issues, only to have it be yanked out from underneath her at the very last minute. Well, eh. two months later, she, re, you know, relaunches yeah, sure. a I mean, new volume. But with as you're as you're reading this volume, it is a super downer ending, I think, uh, overall. Oh, yeah. uh, but I, I want to go back to villains uh, a moment really quick. Ashley, do you like Black Cat being Cindy's big bad here? I think she's a bit of an obvious choice, right? Because um, Peter Parker doesn't have a ton of women in his rogues gallery. And mm -hmm. it's interesting that when we introduce female superhero, it's the debate of, I mean, do we have to pit her against a woman? Right. Or that's what I was kind of getting why at. didn't you pit her against a woman if you pit her against a, a, a male? So there's kind mm -hmm. of, uh, there's sort of no winning in terms of that like macrocosmic critic debate. Yeah. But I think for this story, I think Black Cat works. And I think for, for me, Black Cat is a character who I either really enjoy or I have no use for a cheap cat woman. And here I think I think it's good. I think the storyline gets a little tired. I think she sticks around a little too long. But mm -hmm. then they send Cindy to space and she fights a dragon and it gets real crazy. So like <laughs> the series just starts so good. This volume is so good and it goes to such poop later on. Yeah. But I, I think for for the contained story that we read, for me, uh, it really works. If it didn't work for someone else, eh, too bad more for Ashley. <laughs> yeah, so staying on with this uh, evil villain vibe, and you know, we had mentioned Wally West earlier in the uh, in the episode, and how uh, Wally—he's a murderer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he's a murderer now. I Thanks, DC. Never, I will never let DC forget that they did. Yeah, that. no, I mean, yeah, uh, suck. sorry, but back when Wally West was a cool character, he was able to turn a lot of his rogues gallery to good guys, even though they may some of them were walking the line in some cases. Most of them turned to the to the light. Um, and that was really kind of charming to see that happen. But I'm, I'm wondering if, I mean, that is definitely a redemption story and shows that hero work can, you know, redeem people in the end. We are introduced to a new villain here. Um, I'm going to call him Gargoyles. I yeah, forget what his yeah, name yeah. is. Um, dragon, dragon something. Yeah. Uh, but he looks like the, uh, the main character from the Gargoyles, uh, animated series. That's his name be on is, Disney is plus Goliath. Goliath. That's right. Um, but he's also one that starts out bad and then kind of by the end of the uh, volume, he's kind of a good guy and is kind of Cindy's friend. Is that a played out way to treat a villain, especially a no name villain that just kind of shows up? Uh, or is this something that was an integral part of the story? It's not an integral part of the story. I'll tell you that right now, having read all of her series. <laughs> I don't think it's played out, though, because 
you see a little bit of it. And for me, Silk kind of falls into a mold, not necessarily a Squirrel Girl uh, knockoff or a Squirrel Girl uh, analog. But She might actually predate Squirrel Girl. I'm not quite sure. No, Squirrel Girl goes back to 91. She might predate the oh, modern no, Squirrel uh, that's, Girl That's book. what I meant. I apologize. That's okay. I just have to be that guy. But I feel like <laughs> Cindy being a more positive, upbeat type hero rather than a dark Avenger of the night, I think is is a part of her appeal. And the fact that, you know, uh, Dragon Slayer, Spinning Dragons, Double Dragon, whatever his name is, fights her, but then realizes, you know, oh, well, I have this daughter that I'm trying to take care of and Black Cat paid me to come beat the snot out of you and Cindy trying to help him out, I think really informs who she is. And it kind of gives me that, a nice parallel vibe to what you'll occasionally see with a well-written Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. Or a Spider-Man doesn't necessarily want to punch out all these goobers. Yeah. The Wally I, West thing, that's like a 30-year-old reference. Nobody I knows know. Wally West is anything but a murderer. Thanks, DC. Rodrigo, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts then on, on this? Is this something, is the, uh, is the Goliath character, is he needed, not needed? Uh, I mean, it, it seems like as Ashley saying, oh no, this is just a passing thing and we're done with him. I mean, it's it's fine. It's it's good to have that character there, I think, because it fleshes out Silk's world. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you can you could always have Thor show up, but you know, it's like she's a superhero that's just starting out. Makes sense to have a supervillain that's just starting out, and maybe you know, it turns out that he doesn't want to be bad. He's just in bad circumstances. Right. Uh, it does it does feel like you know kind of a, a kinder a kinder gentler marvel in a, in a lot of ways it is reminiscent of squirrel girl it's reminiscent of um miss marvel it's reminiscent yeah. of you know that those the like moon, uh, moon girl and the, the 2014 and, spider woman revamp yeah, yeah and all all of those things kind of started spider gwen also came mm-hmm. out of that same uh time period and this was the point where marvel was getting accused of making every character female or diverse and that dialogue hasn't stopped, unfortunately. Um, but I think, <sighs> I think Matthew makes a really interesting observation where you said that this feels familiar to a really good or really well-written Spider-Man story, because I mean, at the end of the day, she is, um, you know, I don't even know if I'd call her a legacy character, perhaps a derivative is, is more accurate, but you know, Peter Parker's villains and even his best villains all sort of get that good guy turn. I mean, look at, uh, Dr. Octopus, who I would consider to be his greatest villain besides poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we got a whole series where he became Spider-Man and we kind of loved him for it. And even though that series ended years ago, we're still kind of letting that play out. So maybe that type of character is just part and parcel to being a spider. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I mean, yeah, no, I thought it was fine that this guy was in. I just was like either build him up to be a more of yeah. a menace before the turn and that may just be the way that the volume had to be structured because of all the other stuff that was going in. Um, but I do see this happen a lot more r- nowadays where it's like, oh, bad guy, I will turn you to be my friend. And now we will go do awesome things together and we will all be part of this Scooby gang, um, right. which is fine. Hel- I mean, Hel- I don't Hel- have Hel- also does that in its first issue as yeah. well. That mo- the most recent volume of Hellcat. I think. I think that kind of goes along with the, you know, the anti-hero motif that have has been very prevalent over the last god three decades. Because when your hero doesn't have to be a paragon of ultimate good, 
you know, your 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 square jawed Superman type, mm-hmm. or your you know cutting out people's brains Doc Savage type. You can have a character who's more nuanced and more able to you know look at hey maybe Pied Piper isn't bad maybe he just doesn't have any money or maybe he's in bad straits you know traditionally part of the reason that the villains were always so villainous was because your hero had to have somebody to fight and most of the time they wore purple and green it was just a law it was uh, the printing processes of the 1960s so i like the fact that you can have a villain who is, you know, sympathetic and a little bit tragic. And even though he's trying to kill Cindy for about half this volume, he ends up being very important to, you know, her right before the end of the world. Which, by the way, still mad about the end of the world. Not getting over that. Thanks, Marvel. Yeah. <sighs> I but will I, say I, this. I like, I like the villain part in here. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you that I would have rather seen it be someone that we knew, but then there's also the question of what if it was Lady Stiltman? Right. Mm. Yeah. Could have been worse, right? Could have been worse. Mm. Yeah, especially with the way that that guy was the uh, the evil scientist guy, was hacking everybody's uh, powers and turning them yep. really ugly. Mrs. Stiltman would have been really, really horrific. Really funny. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, so I will say this. I really enjoyed the writing in this issue. Uh, I really liked uh, Cindy Moon's art. I really like uh, Ark. I really like Silk's art. Ark. I like everything that's going on with her as she's trying to come to grips with, you know, what has happened to her over the last decade. I enjoy the little flashback moments so that we can see what led to her family because I could not imagine me saying, okay, I'm going to take my 12-year-old, lock him away for, for 10 years or for life or whatever it's going to be. Good luck, son. Yeah. But then you you get revealed in the flashback about the really family concerns about what do we do with this with this child who could be a real danger that really frightens us. So I really like the writing in this. I uh, really enjoy the art from Stacy Lee who did everything but issues four and seven. Uh, I'm not really a fan of uh, the art in the other two issues. They're fine, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, But I really like the Stacy Lee art that ran for the most part of this, of this volume. Um, So I I like this. Uh, You guys have any other thing else you want to talk about in this volume? Uh, Um, from Marvel Comics, Rodrigo. Um, I I do think that the uh, the other artists are good, but it mm-hmm. uh, the 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 art that that's here through the majority of it is very stylized and very specific. And so when you go back to kind of mm-hmm. a more, I don't know, like even a, in a, even a more comicsy type of art, it just it it really clashes with it. Yeah. When, you know, people don't have manga eyes anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Matthew, do you have any other uh, thoughts or areas that you want to talk about in this volume? I think for me, the biggest letdown was the date with Johnny Storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I appreciate what they were going for there, but I feel like it kind of fell flat because she's been in a bunker for 10 years and mm-hmm. he's the human torch. But other than that, I feel like my only real complaint is that uh, the cover of issue one is drawn by John Cassidy. Mm-hmm. And the cover that Silk wears on the cover of uh, the costume, rather, that Silk wears on That's the cover of That's her Spider-Verse costume. Is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's balanced. It's perfect. I love it. And the costume on the interiors is derived from that, but isn't actually that costume. 
that's my only real disappointment is I love the costume from the cover of issue one and the cover of the trade paperback. And then you get inside and then what we get is a little different and a little less costumey, a little less uniformy. And it makes me just a little bit sad that it doesn't mm-hmm. always look that awesome. Oh, well, wait till if you keep reading the series, wait till she gets a new costume and it is just straight up ugly. Ooh, oh, boy. Joy. Ashley, anything else I you want to talk about besides uh, spoiling happen. spoiling what's coming up next? Um, I think that the Helen Chen covers are really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I read this when it came out because I loved it so much. I loved this in Spider-Gwen so hard when Spider-Verse was originally happening. And revisiting it, because I bought all the collections when they came out. Revisiting this now, I'm kind of really sad that Silk has sort of come to... Uh, nothing in the current standing of the Marvel She's Comics universe. Now. Yeah, but I mean, she doesn't have her own book. They didn't wrap up her story. Like they sort of just ran out of ideas and did a real didn't end her series. And so now she's relegated to where all the spider characters who aren't Peter go, uh, which is, you know, on a team. Uh, so your mileage may vary and there's no real quality control there for the most part. If it's not, you know, the main Avengers book. And I just, uh, I just think it's a little, just think it's a little sad because this, I think the series is cool until it gets really bad. Yeah. Agents of Atlas is really cool though. I haven't read it yet. Well, that's good. I mean, that's good. So bottom line for me is I really enjoyed this volume. You kind of need to have a broader overview of what's going on in the Marvel universe to really get a lot of the urgency. Yeah. Um, and I only read bits and parts of Spider-Verse. I want to go back and review that, read that entire series. Maybe we'll get into that next year on the major spoilers podcast. Um, but I really enjoyed this book and I'm going to give it a big thumbs up. I really recommend it, even though it may be a little hard for fresh readers to do it. But if you're someone that like what you saw in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, I think Cindy Moon, AKA Silk is a great, uh, new Spider-Man spider person that you can get into. And so I say, go pick up the book, Matthew, final thoughts from you. I would agree. As alternate Spider-Mans go, she's no Takuya Yamashiro, but then who is? And I feel like she's better than Ali Osnick, the Steel Spider, could ever be. Um, Probably, for me, it's a check it out and see if it's to your liking. And part of that is because it is very quirky art, and it's a very special, not specialized, but I think it's a very specific take on superheroing. Mm -hmm. And especially this arc, the opening of this arc and the end of this arc are tied into two different diametrically opposed giant crossover schmageggies. So the collection kind of has a fits and starts to it. But definitely, if this sounds like it's your bag, if you're into your silks, if you're into, you know, the the heroes who aren't necessarily top of the line guys who are going to be dragged away for Avengers missions, but still do compelling stuff. I think this is definitely a winner. Ashley, what about you? Some final thoughts from you on this uh, volume zero of of Cindy Moon's life. Yeah, hate volume zeros, but um, this was a book and continues to be a book that I do give to people who don't think they like superhero comics. Um, I think it's a really, if you can get them past the Spider-Verse of it all, I think it's a really good introduction, especially to female readers. Um, of what these universes can offer. I think this issue's, uh, this volume is really fun and I love, it kind of does that thing where it feels like it's crashing together Eastern and Western sensibilities. And when that's Mm -hmm. well done, it always brings me joy. So um, I like it. I would say buy this one and then buy volume one and two and then stop forever. Uh, 
<laughs> All right. And Rodrigo, final thoughts for you on Silk, The Life and Times of Cindy Moon, Volume Zero. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, sometimes when we read comics from like the Marvel's like 60s and 70s and stuff, we uh, we kind of ding them for that very comic booky, like, oh, like, please read X-Men number 321 to get what what in the world is happening here and that hasn't changed and and to me that was a big detractor um as i was reading this i'm like i don't know who this character is and there's very little explanation about what exactly happened they just kind of expect that you already know her from spider-verse um and then yeah it's just like randomly things happen that are tie-ins to other things and to me, you know, as a, as a longtime Marvel reader, I could tell that it was happening, but I couldn't tell what they were tied to because this character is not involved with that stuff. Um, so that's probably the, the biggest drawbacks. I'm glad that Cindy Moon is out there because I feel that having uh, an Asian character just kind of kicking around and doing things and being in comics is good and eventually somebody's going to pick this character back up and write her write her well in a story that is not interrupted by other stories mm -hmm. um, not that this story wasn't well written but you know like basically uh, give her that moment that she needs or you know she can just always be in the background and be part of a team but she'll be there you know as like lots of lots of other superheroes don't get that lots of minorities don't get that so i'm i'm glad that the character is around if nothing else um for me it's a pass but uh you know i hear agents of atlas is good <laughs> yeah all right that is a look at uh, silk this week thank you rodrigo for your input you can find rodrigo at fearsome critter on twitter you can find ashley v robinson at ashley v robinson that v is mighty important and of course you can find matthew at mighty king cobra and myself at Major Spoilers. And that's where we're going to wrap it up this issue. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Remember, we love your feedback, so you can use the comments section at Majorspoilers.com to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. And as always, you can send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support the show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Next week, Halloween episode, as we talk a study in Emerald, which I'm very curious to get Ashley's reactions on because uh, <laughs> ah, this is story, yeah, baby. So, so did I. I did I did all I did all of these uh, for this. Uh, read it, listened to it, and read the comic. Uh, we're gonna talk about that next week on the Major Spoilers podcast because we know that you love comics. We do too, and we will see you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.